Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about when have we waited long enough. Uh, But before we jump into that topic, I want to remind you of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and it is a rich community full of wonderful people learning and growing in gospel responses to the wickedness of domestic abuse. And if you're benefiting from the things you're hearing here on the PeaceWorks podcast, I believe PeaceWorks University is your best next step. Uh, We have the resources and the community and the tools that are going to help you confront and care well in cases of domestic abuse. So if you'd like to learn more about PeaceWorks University, you can find that information on our website, chrismoles.org. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, looking and hoping and waiting for change. So the question is, what are we looking for as a team, as a survivor, as a victim, in determining whether or not we should continue in the process? In other words, uh, we've been working with this individual. Uh, we've been confronting them on their abuse. We've been walking through men of peace. We've been using other tools and techniques, and we're still looking for the evidence of change. How long do we keep waiting? What factors uh, need to be in place if we decide to move on, to enact consequences or discipline? You know, this is a this is a difficult question, and I find it to be one that uh, will many in many ways kind of rule the process if we're not intentional. And it is such a temptation to confront an individual on their bullying behavior, their abuse if they are abusive, on their coercion, their control, to get uh, some acknowledgement some ownership, but when presented with an invitation to repent, um, having resistance, um, being slow, being accusatory, minimizing, denying, blaming. And those of us in the accountability, education, confrontation process, wanting so desperately for repentance to happen that we give individuals more opportunities and more opportunities. Perhaps Uh, even directed by the victim in the case who uh, wants change desperately. And so I I think when we talk about this, looking for change and how long do we wait, I would never put it on a time frame, really. It's, It's really not something that you map out. As we've said many times, if you've seen one case of abuse, you've seen one case of abuse. And so there's not really a time frame. Uh, that we could give you to say, well, here's the amount of time that you look for change. Um, However, uh, to drag a process on with little to no heart level change, sincerity, willingness uh, is detrimental, I think, to the long-term health of the victims, long-term health of the church, and even uh, to the benefit of the abusive individual. And so we often use 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the um, uh, godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow passage and the evidence that Paul cites for the Corinthians 
repentance, uh, their the the watts of that passage, their sincerity, their um, their passion, their anger towards their own sin. Um, we put those in different rubrics within Men of Peace, whether it be uh, small groups that are being run in different parts of the country or the Men of Peace self-paced course, which are the tree model of putting off and putting on um, the the heart of pride, the heart of violence, and putting on the mind of Christ, or the concentric circles that our friend Greg Wilson has developed of uh, seeing, owning, hating, and turning. And the reason why we put them in those type of terms of movement is we are evaluating not only the acknowledgement, which seems to be the easiest uh, form of, of change, which is I once denied the activity, now I will own aspects of the activity. And what we'll often see is a continuation of the minimization, the restructuring, the rationalization, the justification. And so there is what um, our friend Leslie has called in the past willingness versus willfulness, that there is still a willful resistance to the idea of owning my sin, of hating my sin, of turning from my sin. And that willingness, that sincerity, that earnestness, that godly sorrow is the real evidence that we're looking for. And I think one of the one of the two things that really trips us up is is more so our desire for change as people helpers. I think we have a real sincere desire to see an individual change, and we we really need to hold people to a higher standard, I believe, God's standard of transformation. I have said many times, I encourage my people that I train in this language, which is, I will not work harder at your transformation than you will, or I feel as if I am working harder than you are. And if we as a team have a greater desire to see transformation than the individual we're attempting to help, then it probably is time to consider moving on, to enact the consequences that we uh, set forth to continue out or complete uh, church discipline. I also think there is an ignorance among some of us uh, as to what repentance is. So the, there is a there is a holding out hope part of people helpers and shepherding teams that maybe just one more conversation will do it. Maybe just one more meeting will do it. Maybe just one more trick or one more program will will bring about uh, repentance. As we know, it is God's kindness that brings about repentance. It is conviction. Uh, that's brought by the Holy Spirit. It is um, change that happens in the heart of an individual. And so uh, as desperate as we are for them to change, for them to repent, uh, there's no guarantee. And I think the second to that, as I alluded to a second ago, is a real ignorance as to what repentance is. I, I do believe that some of our teams, some of our leaders, some of our elders, we are settling for a form of godliness, but not godliness. We are settling for a a faux repentance, a version of contrition, uh, which which may or may not have aspects of sincerity to it. it. It is one thing to say, I am sorry. It is another for, for that sorrow uh, to motivate change. It's another for that to be evidenced. It goes back to the old adage, you know, that you've probably heard from a parent or a teacher or a coach, you know, don't tell me, show me. 
Like it is one thing to say, it is another to do. And so as we are looking for change, what we are looking for is change. And that change comes at both the behavioral level, the motivational level, and the um, cognitive or level of the heart, the belief level. It is, I believe something differently about myself, about God, about others. I'm motivated by something different than I was before. I'm living now for the glory of God. I'm accepting consequences that have come from my previous choices. I'm owning and living and walking by faith that is leading to new godly behavior, shifts in the way I used to do things um, as opposed to the way I did things before. And if a team uh, or accountability is willing to kind of hold the line on repentance, to have high expectations, then I believe those expectations can be met. If the individual is ready, willing to see, own, hate, and turn. Uh, If they are not, then we need to be willing as people helpers and as leaders to, to land the plane, as it were, to you know, close the file to wrap up the case for lack of better terms. We need to be willing to say our piece, give our observations, and walk away uh, to focus our attention on care for the victim. Uh, the, the question that was presented to us for this episode, and then I want to touch on a few resources, is about our obligation as helpers. I think the exact wording was, how do we determine whether we're obligated to continue? And, um, you know, I I would ask us to really focus on our faithfulness more than our obligation. And what I mean by that is, are we faithfully pursuing the thing that God is asking us to do? I want the perpetrator in this case, the abuser in this case, to feel obligated. I want them to meet a standard I want us to operate faithfully. And and yes, it would be great if everyone we confronted truly repented. It really would. It would be great if we had a standard or a procedure or a program that when enacted at a certain time would produce that repentance at a greater rate, but that's not a guarantee. So um, I would ask us to ask ourselves the questions, have we faithfully presented the gospel Have we given the individual proper instruction? Have we given them time to change and to evidence that repentance? Have we set clear expectations? The answers to those are yes, you you feel as if you've faithfully done your task, um, then perhaps you are free. It's okay to begin to have those conversations with the individual that we're coming to a close of our time together. And the reason why our time together is going to end is because you'd seem unwilling to carry on. There'll be challenges to that. Well, of course I'm willing and, and, you know, understand that I'm not saying that you're, you're unwilling to continue meeting. You're unwilling to continue meeting uh, in the way in which you were requesting. Like you're not willing to produce the change and we're not willing to, to waste time. So 
there is a time. There are hard conversations to have, but they are necessary conversations because a man will reap what he sows. Any attempt at restorative ministry, corrective ministry, confrontational ministry has that reality of our counsel being rejected, our offer being reframed, our uh, sincerity being challenged, our um, calls to repentance being abandoned. I mean, all of that is a real possibility, and the consequences to those are real. I'm not here necessarily to enact all the consequences, but only those that are consistent with the church. So a couple things I would point your attention to. If you want to learn a little bit more about intervention, uh, you can uh, consider some resources that are available at PeaceWorks University. Um, Some things that we have available for you if you're a people helper is what we call our core curriculum. It's the heart of domestic abuse as a digital course. It was a, um, I believe it was a 12 module training that I did a few years ago uh, that we call the Heart of Domestic Abuse Step-by-Step Abuser Intervention for Biblical Counselors. Uh, It's a great place to start just to learn about the heart and the mind and some of the processes that are necessary to invite change. Uh, We have a success path in um, PeaceWorks University. We have several, but one of the success paths that we laid out was the key elements of biblical counseling. And so if you're a counselor and you're looking for heart change, the key elements are um, a key part of a, a foundational part of how we are trained as biblical counselors. And we run those through the grid of working with victims and working with perpetrators. There's a couple master classes in PeaceWorks University that might be helpful to you as well. One was by my, was uh, both are by me. The first is repentance. Uh, and it's a master class on understanding biblical repentance. And then two is evidence repentance, uh, which is the terminology that we use for what the Bible calls the fruit of repentance. That is the application of Ephesians chapter 4. When's a liar no longer a liar? When he becomes a truther. When's a thief no longer a thief? When he becomes generous. It is not simply the abandonment of the sinful behaviors, attitudes, and worldview. It is the transformation to something different, is being known as something different. When's an abusive individual no longer abusive? When they're supportive, when they're caring, when they're faithful, when they're loving, when they're trustworthy, not necessarily when they've stopped the name calling, right? That, that is in the same passage, right? Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's good for building others up. They're no longer a discourager, they're an encourager. So there is biblical principles and precedents for observing repentance in the life, behavior, attitude, and worldview of individuals whom we are confronting. So I would recommend those resources to you as a opportunity uh, to kind of grow in your understanding of what we're looking for as we're walking through the process of repentance. I know it's challenging to be on a team, to be the counselor in the room, to be the pastor in the study, uh, to be the educator, to be the mentor, to be anybody who's walking through this process of abuse. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of misdirection, uh, and a lot of hope that we can have that is good, uh, but must be balanced uh, with the task at hand. Um, We don't want to offer false hope uh, to victims for change that isn't happening or um, offer false hope to abusers that change has happened. We want to be honest and open 
And when change does happen, when it is evidenced, it's usually evidenced uh, in the form of a gracious response of a willing heart of an individual um, ready to accept consequences, uh, understanding the harm that they have caused, and a vision for something different. Well, I hope that's been helpful. Uh, I appreciate the questions regarding uh, the frustrations in looking for change, the feelings of obligation associated with looking for change. And I know it's difficult to be part of a shepherding team, to pastor individuals that are caught in uh, the sin of domestic abuse, to counsel individuals who have been abusive. It's difficult work, and that's why we need one another. That's why we need good resources like those at PeaceWorks University. So I hope you found this helpful. Thank you so much for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. If you do us a favor, if you're benefiting from the podcast, would you rate, review, subscribe, follow, whatever it is the platform you're listening on ask you to do. All right, thank you so much again for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time, friends, God bless.